This is Soccer City, and today the president of the New York City Football Club, John Patrickoff, he'll share his thoughts on the unique partnership between the club, the New York University School of Professional Studies, and NYC Media. Ten high school students with a summer they won't likely forget. Patrickoff, a New York City native, he'll join us later in the program. The NYC FC senior team has a three-week break before the final couple of matches of the regular season. The boys in blue, they've clinched a playoff spot, and now it's all about preparation. Head coach Dolme Turon and defender Sebastian Ibiaga, they're coming up shortly. And Ibiaga's mate at the back, Ben Sweat, Got some great news on Monday. His first call-up to the U.S. men's national team. To finally get the final call, it, just, it, it took my breath away. Um, you know, I'm really emotional about it because I've worked so hard um, to get to you know, where I am right now. More from Sweat in our final segment today. First up, the relationship between coach, player, and parent on the youth soccer level. This is a dynamic that is not easy, but... Vitally important, as suggested by Seth Taylor and a former pro player, Patrick Iani. They've got a book to help. On Frame is the interactive guidebook for parents and young players. But let's welcome to the program Seth Taylor. Hey, Seth. Hey, how you doing, Glenn? Very well, thanks. Well, take me down the road a little bit of uh, what led to this uh, book about the uh, parents, young players, and obviously coaches are involved a little bit, too, in uh, this guidebook. How are you? Uh, how are you personally qualified to write this book? <laughs> well, actually, well, it's funny because I, I, I kind of live two separate worlds. Where a lot of my uh, my grad school study, my research, the the work that I've been doing I, for a long time, I've been doing work with addiction, depression, anxiety, things like this, in kind of one part of my life. And I do life coaching and therapeutic work. And then on this other side, I've been coaching soccer for fifteen years because I just love doing it. And I was coaching club. I coached some college ball. Um, and then I just saw those two worlds start to merge together. And, and a lot of that was when I really started, I mean, you know, no one becomes a therapist without having gone through their own personal work. And so for me, as someone who had tremendous amounts of anxiety through my playing days, um, and my not never knowing why, why I couldn't kind of tap into my potential. Cause I was, I had a lot of potential. I'm one of those guys that kind of has that uncle Rico syndrome where it's like a, you know, woulda, shoulda, coulda, what, what could I have been? And it was always an emotional kind of component that was kind of holding me back. And so all those kind of things, as I did my own journey of ther- therapy work and healing work, I started to just discover that these two worlds started merging together. And I pretty soon I realized that my, my soccer training, especially my private training, was becoming kind of a therapeutic tool. And I was working more with kids trying to deal with the mental and emotional kind of blockages or barriers that existed inside them that kept them from being able to train effectively. And I and then I started working. It, it basically just kind of stumbled into things. I, I met Pachkiani uh, years ago, just randomly, really, and we got to be friends. He was playing for the Seattle Founders, and and then kind of got to know a few other guys, see Zakawani and Brad Evans and some of these guys on the team. But started to notice that there was this really unique kind of parallel between the young kids that I was working with and the type of anxiety that they carried, and then seeing it kind of in its more mature form, working in these professional players, which from day to day there was a pretty, pretty intense amount of anxiety. Uh, I think some depression, a lot of identity stuff, a lot of identity crisis, especially as guys started coming towards the end of their careers. And so I was getting to know uh, James Riley and James, when he finished his career was working at the MLS uh, corporate. And we, we were chatting about this one day and he said, you know, you really should send a proposal over to MLS and do some speaking with them. They can really use this work. 
So I just sent him a proposal and said, hey, I'd like to come to your symposium and start talking about identity and just helping these all, you know, just I'm, I'm pretty sure that you're dealing with guys with a lot of anxiety. And sure enough, they said, hey, we'd love to talk to you about this. This is really interesting. It went in, started speaking, and started getting such a response from the players because it turns out most of them, uh, most of them carry it quite a bit. And I know it's, it's to the average fan, they're not understanding that because it looks pretty sexy from where they're standing. But, but the truth is, there was the, the, the level of pressure, and there's such young kids, and they're dealing with a specific type of trauma in their identity development because they've been training for this since they were three, four five years old and so I was just seeing kind of you know echoes of my own past experience but then so I go man this is a real problem and especially as we look at player development and how guys are training mean, these guys I mean I remember last year I asked a question in the symposium I said think back on your experience at what point what age did it become work and guys I was like pointing at guys I said hey what about you and he's like six <laughs> and this guy's like wow a seven wow you know and that says well, a lot that's, about how that's kind of development. Uh, that's that's enlightening, you know. It's just like yeah. whoa. And but so it's it's obvious then that if they're carrying uh, some sort of stress or it's not fun or it becomes a job at six years old, that's just building over time. So you're looking yeah. into the eyes of uh, MLS rookies at the age of it could vary from twenty, twenty one, twenty two, twenty three years old, and yeah. they've got a they're carrying a lot of weight. Yeah, a lot of weight, a lot of weight, and most of them have no no concept of it until someone starts saying, talking about it. And then they're like, Oh, it was like, you could see the light bulbs going off. And pretty soon I got a line of guys that, Hey, can I talk to you? Can I talk to you? And one kid come up to me, drafted number five in the draft. And he just comes in and he said, can I talk to you a second? I said, yeah. I just, uh, I, I hate soccer, man. <laughs> he just said, I hate Jeez. it. Because I'm really good at it, but I hate it. And I said, well, we, you know, we should dig into this. And we start getting into some of this stuff. And it's the same thing. I mean, from such an early age, I mean, we have, we have to understand is that between the ages of 0 and 10, a child is in what was known as their developmental years, right? They're in their years where their primary task is to develop an identity based in the unconditional love of their parents. And a lot of the research is pretty clear. Kids should not be playing organized sports at the level that we have them playing until they're, much, until they're out of those years. And they can actually have a sense of who they are that separates from what they do. But when they're out there six, seven, eight years old, and they're just trying to know who they are based on their parents' love, but now so much of my time and energy is in this performance-based arena, they start to pretty quickly, they start to realize that love is something to be earned. It's not something that is based in who I am as my mother's son, as my father's son. It's something that I earn because the response I get when I kick this ball determines a lot of how that love comes through whether it's for good or, or the other way. So it, 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 you see it as fascinating for me because i like the youngest kid I'm training right now. I've got an a eight-year-old kid that I'm training right now, and I'm working with some guys on the Sounders and a few other players in MLS, and I've got this kind of gamut where I can see the whole scope. Like, oh, so if we start this way, this is what we get. And we wonder why we haven't produced a player at the level that we find in most European countries and stuff at this point. And I think that has so, a lot uh, to do with it. I were with Seth Taylor. His book is On Frame, an interactive guidebook for parents of young players. He's the co-author, along with Patrick Gianni, the, the former Sounders, Sounders player. Uh, the forward of your book by Clint Dempsey. So yeah, one thing yeah, we forget four. about Clint, what we forget about Clint is that he's uh, the father of four, yeah, and now he's yeah. uh, he's experiencing the life of a parent on the sidelines. Uh, so yeah. it's 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 just interesting to read his words. How it's pretty difficult. Yeah. Yeah. He's, and he's had, 
you know, he's, he, you know, a lot of people don't know much about Quinn because he's pretty, you know, he's a pretty quiet guy for the most part, but his, his life off the field as a dad is, 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 and always has been the most important element of his life. And, and we've gotten in a lot of chats with him. A lot of times at the Sounders game, Bethany, his wife would be sitting right behind us and we just started talking and, that's very much, I mean, they were, when we showed this to them, they were like, whoa, and just a lot of light bulbs went off with them too, as it is with most people, most directors, most, you know, we're showing it to clubs, we're trying to, we're selling it to clubs and we're selling it to, to individuals on Amazon and that kind of thing. But a lot of people have these light bulbs going off going, whoa, that was my childhood. <laughs> like, what if I could save my kids? I had a dad that I was talking about this and he'd read the book and he's going, okay, so what do I say after a game? And like, if I'm not talking about what they did and how they, I go, just ask them how they're feeling. Just let your relationship be one of – this relationship is about the development of, our, of this, this, this base of love, and let soccer just stay where it is and keep those things as separate as possible. And, and he's like, well, that – you know, we realize for him he's going to have to let go of some stuff to do that. And, and I think Clint kind of saw that right from the beginning, and it's unique for him, and it will shift for him. Now that he's retired, he's going to find there's this whole other kind of – identity piece for him that's going to come up as it does for most of these guys you know most of these guys when they retire from their careers they're going not only what do i do now but who am i outside of this yeah. who am I? yeah well seth let's get into the book a little bit the yeah. uh, one thing i notice is it's uh, it's not just a book you read and then put down and and it, it's it's interactive you have a yeah. lot of exercises yeah. that you're having both the parent and the child perform not not to perform i would say it's it's mostly written exercises but yeah. let's uh, just describe a little of that uh how are you enhancing this parent child relationship through these exercises yeah that that was a big element with pat and i when we started talking about it because we were talking about how how most of this has been approached as, as parent education so parent education is a big category for a lot of clubs and that kind of stuff and we realized like okay well it's clear that when you're dealing with things that, that come from the gut, from the deep places, because I mean, are you, I'm assuming you're a dad, right? I am. Yeah. So parenting is deep, right? It's a kid because yes, you don't is. parent from this kind of, Oh, we'll just do this and do this and do this. And you're when you'll be okay. You parent from your guts and you parent from your own story. And so you, essentially you parent from the unconscious. And so we just said, well, parent, you can't educate someone. Education doesn't work. So we started going transformation is, is greater than education. We have got to bring in an experience that's more therapeutic, something that is like if they go through this, they're, they're having a transformative experience. And to do that, we have to teach them how to observe what's going on in the deep places inside them. So, so for instance, one of the exercises in the, parent, in the, in the Your Child section is to, to do an experience of, well, I mean, I think I call it meditative observance, but it, it's standing on a sideline in silence with certain questions observing your own body's reaction to watching your kids play and starting to recognize that when they do this, your body reacts from your guts. You react certain ways and observing when I feel the need to speak, why, why, and what do I need to say? And what does it feel like to try to not speak in those moments? And, and when people start to have experiences like that, especially in, well, there's a lot of uh, conversations with guided conversations with your kids. When they have experiences like that, it tends to have a more transformative. And when we've had a lot of feedback because we've tested this a lot, and a lot of people are coming back going, "Hey, this isn't just changing our relate my relationship with my kids' soccer. This is changing our family. Like this is changing the way we relate to each other." That and that just, is yeah. that is what I glean from it. How important that is. It enhances the parent-child relationship, and yeah. if you could do that through sport as well, I mean, how great is that? 
Oh, that's the hugest element. I keep telling parents, like, hey, I'm not saying pull your kids out of sports. I'm saying this every single practice, every single game is an opportunity to create a bond that actually pushes them towards the more beautiful experience of everything. But it has to be, we have to do it with a certain level of awareness because most parents are unconsciously just projecting kind of all their own unmet needs on their kids and our kids have to carry this. And a lot of us, our parents did that to us. I sat with Brian Schmetzer not that long ago, coach of the Sounders, and we chatted for a while. And then he, he finished and he said, you know, you give me a lot to think about. He said, I always told myself, and this is really key, I always told myself that I would never do to my kids what my dad did to me. He said, but now I'm starting to realize I think I did. And that's the thing, is it happens without us even knowing That's really powerful stuff. That's Seth Taylor. Uh, The book is Off Frame, Exploring the Depths of Parenting in the World of Youth Soccer. Well, we're happy to be joined by the uh, president of New York City FC, John Patrickoff, a guy who was instrumental in a partnership this year between New York City Football Club, New York University, and NYC Media, WNYE. John, welcome to the program, your, your debut on Soccer City. Thanks, Glenn. It's been a long-awaited invitation. I'm glad I finally got on the show. Well, uh, we did have this unique partnership, uh, and uh, maybe you can give us just a, a little bit of a, a background as to how it all developed. Yeah, absolutely. So um, kind of at the end of the last season, um, we started to explore and think about what we were going to be doing for our radio broadcasts heading into the 2018 season, and um, had a couple of opportunities uh, with commercial radio stations, but but the idea presented itself uh, within the club to potentially uh, do something a little bit out of the box and something that hadn't been done before, which is to combine an educational partnership and a mentorship opportunity with the broadcast itself. And so it occurred to me uh, to reach out to the city, um, and in particular to Julie Menon, who, who runs the, the mayor's office of, uh, of media entertainment, and uh, discuss with her the concept of potentially um, partnering with WNYE to create a platform, not just for radio broadcasts of NYCFC's live games, but also as a way for the millions of fans of soccer uh, in this city who, who, who love the sport to, to have a little bit more coverage on, on the city station. And then kind of most importantly, uh, to give an opportunity to some of the young kids in New York um, to potentially uh, be mentored in the art of radio broadcasting and in podcasting, which I think we all agree is a really growing area of, of the media industry. And, and so um, that was really the original idea. And we're really fortunate um, that the city kind of said yes and that uh, NYU's School of Professional Studies, um, particularly uh, David Hollander, who's been really instrumental um, in this partnership, also jumped on board and really loved the idea. And then, of course, uh, to get you to, to, to agree to, to participate as well. So it's been a great partnership. Um, it came together. Um, it really was – it sparked out of an idea. And, and now we're seven months in, and uh, I think it's been a real success. What was the feedback from the different parties, NYU first? They jumped on it. I mean, you know, they've been at the forefront of partnerships with uh, – in, in the sports world, um, and so I think they love the concept of getting behind soccer um, and, and anything to do with it, and I think they really also, uh, at the School of Professional Studies, were really excited about um, 
creating a program, a curriculum, and a class for, for kids who um, are in this city, um, who are in, in public schools, and who are uh, who probably wouldn't have access and wouldn't be able to afford necessarily uh, a, full, a full tuition program. And this was a great summer opportunity for these kids to learn and get exposed to uh, a, a really unique curriculum. And the, the students, uh, it was an eight-week summer program, high school students. Uh, David Felson was their instructor, and then they would come down to the studio and play a role in Soccer City, uh, getting the Soccer on the Blocks uh, segment. So uh, for students, for high school students, for the kids of those age, and, and, and I know you've met them a couple of times, you, you can see it in their eyes, it was a, a special experience. Yeah, yeah I mean, I, I got to meet them a few times, um, and I'd actually known maybe a couple of them um, because they uh, all had participated in a great program we run with the district attorney's office, um, which is called Saturday Night Lights. And so a number of these kids were uh, originally kind of uh, players in that after-school program, and then some of them have graduated to become youth coaches in that program. And so um, they applied to be selected for this, and um, we, we handpicked 10 of them to participate in the, in the, in the education program. Um, but, yeah, I got a chance to meet them um, during, the, during the season, um, really was great to see them out at Yankee Stadium. Um, they, they came out for kind of a field trip, and it's terrific to see them up at our training ground, um, the Etihad uh, City Football Academy, and what they were able to do, um, and, and the access they got uh, was incredible, and just to see them step up and, and take advantage of it and appreciate it and, and, the, and the hard work they put in. It was great. I thought it was uh, fun to see the uh, first team players' reaction. Yeah. They, they had... Uh, much more delight in being interviewed by the children than they did by me and the other guys, <laughs> right? <laughs> you can see that. <laughs> no comment. No comment. But they always love talking to you. Uh, John Patrickoff, president of New York City FC, our guest, uh, talking about this special program uh, that occurred over the summer. So uh, in terms of its uh, subsequent years or how it will develop, uh, do you see this uh, – this growing and, and becoming a staple within yeah, the I mean, pro- I, within the city. That's definitely our hope. I mean, we had a had a great recap with uh, everyone that's been involved. I think everyone's excited about it. Um, I think that's our, our goal is to grow it and have it evolve. I, like I said, I think the the big interesting opportunity um, comes from the fact that you know we have so many great young people in the city um, that work hard in school um, that are. Uh, Facing kind of normal, you know, teenage challenges as they become in, come into young adulthood. Um, but That's the thing I was fascinated with. I'm a suburban guy, but you come into the city, you see children in in difficult situations and how they perform. Yeah, it's 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 pretty spectacular. I mean, um, you know, I think as you know, I mean, I've been fortunate to grow up in New York City, um, and and as a result, spend time in different communities and uh, get to know a, a lot of young people um, uh, that that are going through different stages. And, and, and the reality is that um, they're just incredibly uh, focused, determined, uh, and I think they understood that this was a, a really unique opportunity. And on top of that, um, I think this there's a lot of focus, in my opinion, on, on video content and TV and videos, but, but there's, there's really an audio revolution going on in, the, in this country and in the world. I mean, we know that podcasts are increasingly increasingly popular, um, and so while maybe less people tune into live radio, um, obviously a number of people still do and still count on it and still love it. And there are those who who turn down their TV set and maybe put on your 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 audio broadcast while they're watching it or, or listening on TuneIn, where they can 
here and around the around the country, or in some cases around the world. But but podcasting is growing, and so I thought the idea of giving these kids access to kind of the art of podcasting, the, the basics of how you broadcast and what it does, I think that that hopefully can can hopefully inspire some thoughts about what they might do with their lives. So, uh, city in the community that's been a at the forefront of how you've built your relationships in the community here with the New York City Football Club. And uh, there was a recent report, uh, a third-party report that came out, and it, and it identified the number of young people that uh, the New York City Football Club is assisting along the way. And, and I wanted to ask you, too, just about the relationship of soccer and city and how that, that helps educationally, uh, maturity, leadership, but but this is a this is a, a pretty good testament that your, your your folks are working hard. Yeah, I think I think the report you're referring to um, was research that was done by an organization called Ecorus that um, looked at two of the programs we've been involved with, one in Brooklyn, um, one in East Harlem, and and did kind of a longitudinal study of kind of how has the imp- what's the impact been on kids who participated in, in some of the after school programming, and so what you were able to see. Um, which is great always when it's kind of done by, by a third party is the impact that it had on kind of awareness of healthy eating and healthy living and what the impact was, um, the, the impact that these programs had on their performance in school. Um, and, and generally speaking, just the, the network it creates and the, the avenue it gives kids for you know, positive role models and, and positive development. And so I, I think that broadly speaking, um, sports is a really powerful tool um, and a powerful platform to impact kids' lives. Um, we've got millions of people in New York who, who are soccer fans and love this sport. Um, the goal of what we do through City in the Community, and again, City in the Community is a, its own 501c3. NYCFC supports it. I'm happy to be on the board of, of City in the Community. Um, and you know, we have great outside supporters of, of City in the Community and all the programs it runs. But the reality is that this is a real opportunity for not to create the next generation of great soccer champions, although who knows, maybe some will emerge, but, but really just to create a great platform that is going to be positive for kids' lives. Well, important, like 98% of the 8- to 10-year-olds said that City in the Community activities encourage them to eat more healthily. Yeah. I mean, that's... Yeah, it's awesome. It's that's <laughs> It's great. I mean, you know, you, you know, some some of us. I mean, listen, uh, access to fruit, vegetables, um, healthy living. I mean, you know, thankfully we're living in a time where there's certainly more awareness than there was, but before. But still, it's it's hard it's hard to even understand that. And so, for us, we in in the case of of that particular facet, we have something called the Healthy Hat Trick, which is um, a curriculum and a guidebook that's used. And, you know, when you have people like David Villa and other great players talking about the importance of, of eating well and, and, and having, you know, a balanced diet and other things, I think it makes an impact. And, and this research confirmed what, what we knew and what we thought, but it was great to have uh, an independent third party confirm it. I, I just want to add one more statistic, which, you know, again, is just in its sense, uh, fantastic. 52% of the older respondents that's in their teens in East Harlem said attending the program helped them reduce or prevent involvement in crime. So once again, there's activities. I think even the uh, the health part is another thing. You have to be disciplined. Yeah, I mean, the, the Saturday Night Lights program, which is something that the DA's office started actually uh, 
and runs across a number of sports. I think we've had a lot of success with that particular program, and it actually it's a little bit of a misnomer because it happens on Friday nights and Saturday nights. Um, and and up in East Harlem, we have a, a program for boys, a program for girls, and this is the whole concept behind it is that kids. Let's create a safe place. Um, these are done in, 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 in spaces where kids can come inside all throughout the year, um, in the evenings, on Friday, on high, which are high crime periods of time, come into to gyms and have soccer training. There's actually a place for them to do homework and get some tutoring as well. And so what a great environment for, for, to be created for these kids where they come in, they're off the streets um, or out of their house and running around, getting exercise with other kids um, and, and also have really positive impact from role models of these young, uh, of these community coaches, which, you know, I should say um, a lot of people help make these programs happen, but most important of all are the community coaches and, and the people that volunteer their time and, and, and to, to help get back to these kids. And um, it's really incredible to see the role that these coaches can play in, in, in these young people's lives. Well, John, congratulations on your efforts on behalf of the New York City Football Club. That's John Patrickoff, president of NYCFC. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks, Glenn. Part two of the John Patrickoff interview on the next Soccer City. His club in the midst of a difficult stretch, just two wins in 10 matches. After a clean sheet against the Chicago Fire last Wednesday at Yankee Stadium, the Citizens dropped a 2-1 decision three days later to Minnesota United on the road. And it's just four wins away from home all season. But head coach Dolme Turan looks at the last two out-of-town matches, the 1-1 draw at Montreal and Saturday's result with Minnesota, and sees good things. I'm uh, disappointed uh, for the result, not for the, for the game, because uh, maybe, the, maybe eh, it's the best, the best game the New York City play uh, away, maybe. I don't want uh, another time the same because uh, the the fans, the the people, maybe think about me. Uh, he's crazy, but but my opinion is uh, today uh, uh, the New York City play really well. It, at the end, we we won the uh, we lost the game. Uh, that is not good for us. But uh, if you talk about me about the performance for me, it's good. It's good. It's good. Uh, I prefer to to talk about what happened in the in the field not uh, about the result because the result is easy yeah. <laughs> you know you you win the game it's okay everything is okay you lose the game everything is wrong from a player's point of view defender sebastian ibiaga who started alongside alexander collins on saturday in minnesota his sense is that the group has improved over the last five matches, although it has produced just one victory. Playing-wise, yes. I mean, obviously you always want to play well, and I think that's something that Domi has been talking about, is that he's happy with our play, and it's just about getting the results now and but still playing the same way. And he, he, he's excited for the, with the way we're playing right now and wants us to play the same way throughout the playoffs. So it's just always tough when you do play, I mean, well, like you said, we had control. We, we, I mean, we moved the ball around the way we wanted to, and it's just tough when the results don't fall your way sometimes. But that's kind of part of the game, and that's part of the sport. It can be unfair, and the only thing we can do is stick with stick with what we know and stick with our tactics. Starting next to Ibiaga Saturday on the left side of the defense was Ben Sweat, 
Congratulations in order for a guy who was a trialist in 2017 preseason. Sweat on Monday received his first call-up for the U.S. men's national team. Interim manager Dave Sarakin has named a 24-player roster for matches against Colombia on October the 11th and Peru October 16th. I'm still like a little shaken from it. Um, you know, it's something that every player you know works their entire career for, and to finally get the final call is just. It took my breath away. Um, you know, I'm really emotional about it because I've worked so hard um, to get to you know where I am right now, and you know that's that's just a, a big compliment. And you know, I hope I can you know represent the, the United States crest, you know, as well as I've you know represented the, the New York crest. And the U.S. men will train in Tampa, just 20 minutes from Ben Sweat's hometown. Paul Tenorio, a contributing writer for The Athletic, wrote on Monday that U.S. soccer expects to name a permanent head coach by November the 1st. Tenorio, he'll come on board Soccer City next week to chat about TAM, GAM, designated players, and more. At the age of 27, Alex Ring announced his retirement from international soccer. Ring earned 44 caps with a pair of goals for the Finland national team. He was the newcomer of the year for New York City FC in 2017. And on loan with the USL's Louisville City FC, New York City winger Jonathan Lewis. Lewis has played in three matches, started two of them, and he got an assist on the second goal in a 3-0 victory over Penn FC. Well, that'll do it for this episode of Soccer City. Next week, NYCFC President John Patrickoff and his latest thoughts on a soccer-specific stadium. We've got a really experienced team. There's a lot of dedicated resources, a lot of focus. Um, and like I said, I think we're closer than we've ever been. New episodes every Tuesday on Soccer City. Listen live on WNYE or subscribe on TuneIn or iTunes. I'm Glenn Crooks. I hope you have a great week of soccer.